Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, my co-host Mel, Mel McIsaac. Mel. Hello, hello. Mel, Easter's coming up. Like I'm it's so excited right for this around weekend. The corner. I know. And I'm sure you have a brand new perspective on it because your hubby is a senior pastor and there's just an, an additional, I feel like an additional pressure, but also anticipation for Easter when you're pastoring a church. It's like... It, Man. Yeah, it's really exciting. We kind of view it as like a marathon. Um, we do, <laughs> yes. Our church does a lot for Easter, which I'm really, really thankful for, but it's it's a lot in our family. And in the years past, we've had some family come in and stay with us and help um, just with our children so that we can serve in, in the church. But yeah. this, this year we're, we're doing it solo. So nice. it's going to be interesting. But um, one thing that we do is we have a good Friday service on Friday night. And okay. it is the most beautiful thing. Um, our worship leader heads it up. And we, um, I don't know if you've ever had seen an evangelical church do this, but our church actually practices Lent. So on Ash cool. Wednesday, we have a morning service. Yep. And um, on Good Friday, we have six stations of the cross. And it's so beautiful. There's just um, kind of like ancient artwork and we go through and um, there's actually a crown of thorns and there's nails that are super big and we get to feel them and there's incense burning and we kind of just uh, solemnly and quietly work our way through um, just the crucifixion of Christ. Yeah. And then we go in and we sing a couple songs and hear a very brief message and and pray. And, um, and then Saturday morning we wake up and we have a massive Easter egg hunt. It's very evangelistic. We spend weeks prior, um, inviting our neighbors and friends to this. And, um, pretty much a majority of our church serves because it's, it's ranged from like four to 550 different amount of people at our church. And so, um, what we do is there's, uh, we, I usually serve in the first part and then I do the Easter egg hunt with my children afterwards. And then when that's done, you know, we have Sunday morning and, um, Charlie usually gets to work pretty early and we have brunch after and give the kids their Easter baskets. But yeah, it's, it's fun, but it's just, it makes for a very long Yeah. Weekend. Exhausting. I can imagine just go, yeah. go, 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 go on top of the spiritual intensity of, you know, the, yes. the season for sure. Man, for those of you guys who who don't know, I'm sure most people understand what Lent is, but Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter. And typically, uh, especially in the, the Catholic tradition, they they encourage you to give something up starting on mm-hmm. Ash Wednesday. Do you guys practice that where you give something up for like fast in some way for Lent? We do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you, have you, are you giving something up right now? Have you done that in the past? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So um, uh, this year I'm doing something different every week. Um, and so one week it's social media, one week it is sweets, one week it's television. Um, I can, I'm spacing on the last thing, but last year, um, I just gave up sweets and it was, um, just a time to realize like every time that I would want to enjoy something yummy or sweet, um, it makes me want to be mindful of Jesus and run to him instead. That's good. So then you got to indulge in the Easter sweets when all of like, it was said and done. Yeah, I was like, give me that, give me that Easter bunny. <laughs> yeah, Chocolate no Easter joke. Bunny. Oh wow, wow. Well, um, we haven't done a whole lot, his, you know, over the past few years when it comes to Lent, as far as you know, practicing or whatever. It's a, it's an incredible tradition. Um, I do have a, a funny Lent story. My late wife Amanda, when we were dating, when we first started dating, we were long distance. She gave me up for Lent. No, she did not. So, yeah, so she calls me. Literally, we were a month into dating, I think. I mean, not long, maybe maybe two months. I don't know. And she calls me up, and she's it was it was more than a month. It would have been more. It would have been a couple months because we met in October, and then. But she calls me up. She goes, "Hey, our youth pastor just uh, preached this really uh, challenging message, and I can't." I can't think of anything that I would, should give up that would like hurt because like chocolate and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, and she's like, I've been there, done that. I feel like I need to give you up for 40 days. And I'm like, 
Oh, snap. Wait. So I was like, is this like the new Christian way to break up with people? <laughs> like, it's like, it's not you, it's me. You know? Like, I, know I'm, what, I need a break. Jesus this? told me so. I know. I'm like, hold on a second. I was furious for a couple of days. And then my cousin called me. He was this, he was on like a missions uh, study abroad. He was at the same college that I was, but he calls me and I tell him like, can you believe she did this? I can't believe it. And he was like, Davey, what have you always wanted in a wife? And I'm like, stop being spiritual. This is not the moment to be spiritual. You know, like, just let me vent. He goes, oh, he goes, tell me, what have you always said you wanted a wife? I said, that she loves Jesus more than she loves me. He goes, bingo. Sounds like you found your girl. Oh, and so man. that was a that was a pivotal moment in our relationship. And I uh, it feel uh, unbelievably blessed that I have this. As weird as this sounds, I have I have found two wives over my lifetime that love Jesus more than they love me. Mm. So. Really, uh, a really, really cool You're um, blessed, thing. baby. Yes, yes, I'm very blessed. Christy is going to, I'm sure, have something really awesome planned for our kiddos when it comes to Easter. Last year, she did this big Easter egg hunt. You know her. She's the party animal, so she's going to. She went She went major overkill last year with the Easter egg hunt. I mean, it was <laughs> at Easter eggs everywhere. It was awesome. It was so great. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't really so know funny. exactly what we're going to be doing this year. It's going to be different on this perspective. We're going to attend church together. Um, I'm not speaking anywhere and I, I'm not pastoring, um, you know, senior pastor anymore. And so this is going to be a different perspective for us, but I'm looking forward to attending an Easter service or multiple Easter services. This might be our excuse to visit different churches and stuff and just kind of see what they, what they're doing for Easter. So we'll see. This That'll be, be fun. fun. That'll be great. Yeah. yeah. You, we, uh, we like to give our kids an Easter book each year. Do you have a book that you love to give your kids about Easter? I don't know. Okay. I, um, yeah, give us some suggestions. If you got some Easter book suggestions, I'm sure there's moms out there that they got their ears perked now. So what, what do you know of any, you know, those um, off the, the top of your head? Let's see. The past few years we've done the garden, the curtain and the cross. Have you seen that book? Ooh, I have seen that. Okay. The yeah. garden, the curtain and the cross. Yeah. And then there's another book about Easter is for me and it walks through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and how mm. each step of the way he did it for us. And um, it's just a very clear picture of the gospel for children. And so we love that book too. That's awesome. Well, what I love about holidays is I love being able to really instill in our kids the the meaning, mm. the true meaning of these holidays, um, while packaging it with all the fun. Yeah. You know, really trying to create that experience for them, and um, it's so important to impart those things to kids at an at an early age, so that they grow up with that kind of faith understanding. Um, the hard thing about holidays, though, Mel, is that any kind of big holidays, especially ones that center around kids, it can bring up a lot of grief mm. for folks who have lost kids. There are yeah. definitely folks who are listening, who folks who are. I'm a part of the Nothing Is Wasted community who have who have lost kids, and I'm sure that this is a can be a hard time for them. And yet, at the same time, remembering the beautiful story of the resurrection, mm-hmm. and 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 what that means for us as we experience loss and grief and death, um, we have an incredible interview with a couple who have walked through something like that, mm-hmm. um, and it is just an amazing testimony of how God is taking this tragedy that they've walked through in life and turning it around and they're finding purpose in it and they're ministering to other families who have lost kids as well. Um, in fact, this interview was so good. We did it in person. They live in Texas. They were up here oh, wow. in the Midwest area and they came over to our house and we spent several hours with them just talking about life and loss and grief and ministry and the stuff that they're doing, the stuff that we're doing out of our out of our own individual pain. And um, just was truly inspired by Jeff and Mackenzie. And uh, so what we did, we were like, we've got to do this in two parts because it was just such a powerful, powerful interview. Um, and so, man, I'm super excited about you guys listening to our conversation um, over these next couple of weeks. Yeah. And before we um, get into their interview, if you have um, a story or if this podcast has impacted you in any way, would you go to iTunes and rate and review us and uh, leave us a message? We'd love to pray for you and hear how God has ministered to you through this podcast. And if you aren't following us on Instagram, um, go, you can find us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. And we have book giveaways and quotes from our guests, and we'd love to share that space with you. So let's, uh, let's get into this.
Jeff McKenzie, great to have you guys on the podcast. It's good to be here. Yeah. Thanks for Live, having us. Live, right here. <laughs> you guys drove over a couple hours. You're in Ohio this this week or something, visiting family. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, my parents live in Ohio, and uh, we just had a retreat in Nashville. Nice. And then visit our friends, um, their church, spoke at their church in Kentucky, and then Took our boy, our family, wow. and just headed up north. Wow. Now, I, I, I'm so fascinated by your story, fascinated by what you guys are doing, the ministry that you're doing out of your story. Um, but first, before we dive into that, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about just your family, where you guys are at? Because you don't live in Ohio. What'd you say, Salina, Ohio? Is that? Yeah, Salina. Salina. Mm-hmm. Salina. That sounds even yeah. worse, right? You don't live there. <laughs> so where are you guys? Where do you guys hail? What's going on in, in the Rawlings world? Yeah, so we live just north of Houston in Spring, Texas, uh, Spring Woodlands area, and we have been living there for the last uh, two years after returning from Ecuador. We were missionaries for two and a half years down in Ecuador. A church in the Spring Woodlands area sent us down there, and but before that, we had moved to the Spring area from California, so we are pretty much from all over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, like. we met from uh, at a missions conference in Urbana, okay. Illinois, Urbana 03, yeah. and Mackenzie was going to school at Olivet Nazarene University. I was at Wheaton College, both of us right outside Chicago area. Nice. Yay for Christian schools. <laughs> Amen. That's where, that's where you go to get your MRS degree, isn't that right? That's what, yep. that's what everybody at Southern Western University would say is like, the girls are here to get the MRS degree. I didn't buy it. I didn't ring by spring. That's ring by spring. <laughs> I don't know if you're experienced. I don't know what Wheaton, Wheaton and, and all of it are pr- probably pretty big, but Southern Wesley had a thousand on-campus students. And so everybody knew your business. Everybody. Yeah, it was pretty. Was it similar experiences? Yeah, and yet we, you guys went across the borders. Yeah, to, okay. Yeah, we we couldn't find somebody for each other at our own school, so wow. we had to uh, cross pollinate, if you will. <laughs> cross pollinate. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay, continue. So Wheaton, all yeah, of that. So we meet, and I was a senior at the time, and Mackenzie was in her junior year of college, and I was studying to go into the State Department, wanted to be embassy worker overseas because I grew up overseas. Okay. And I wanted to do missions, but I didn't feel strongly God's call mm. on my life to missions course. Right before um, my senior year, he confirms that calling after three years of studying something completely opposite yeah. of ministry. And I'm like, thanks God. And, yeah. and I was like, well, you could have told me before then. And he said, well, I did back when you're in fifth grade, you just didn't believe me. <laughs> so my, my thing was my parents were missionaries and I didn't want to be a missionary because yeah. they were, I wanted to make sure it was God's calling in my yeah. life. Whereas Mackenzie's story is a little bit different in terms of her desire to be a missionary. Mm. I knew, um, in high school that I wanted to teach overseas. Mm. And I wasn't sure what that would look like, but in college I had the opportunity to student teach overseas in Ecuador. And so I went to the missions conference that we had met at and I meet Jeff and his sister is studying at that school. And she's going to be, she's in her senior or going into her senior year. The same school in Ecuador. The same school. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go student teach there. And so <laughs> um, we connected right away and we both. It was love at first sight for me. I had to work a little bit <laughs> to convince her of that. I thought and you were about to tell me, Jeff, that it was love at first sight for her. Yeah. I'm like, he was yeah, about to, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I wish. And uh, so we, um, yeah, so we dated, began dating, and then he moved to California to be a youth pastor when he graduated, and we dated long distance, um, mm. most of our relationship. Mm. And then Which I, is good for the purity side of things. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and then I went to Ecuador to student teach, and we did all of our premarital counseling long distance over the phone once oh a week. Oh, my gosh. And, That's amazing. Yeah. And this is back before like Skype and, you know, WhatsApp. And so we ended up, we would have to buy long distance cards and then like input the card number. Like (laughs) this is like old school right there. So you're sending her like a care package in the mail where she's at and it's like a stack of long distance cards or something in there. (laughs) No, pretty much I bought them and I would call her. That was the thing because... It, to ship something down to Ecuador is like 50 bucks. And so wow. I was like, well, I can spend that much in, in yeah, cards and absolutely. actually call her. But I think the hard part for her was she went to the school where I had graduated from and everybody met her and they're like, oh, you're Jeff's fiance. And so she never really got to have her own identity <laughs> oh. while she was student teaching down there, unfortunately. Wow. 
Wow. So you guys doing this long distance premarital counseling and obviously get married. And then what does life bring you after that? What's going on after once you guys got married? Because you didn't go straight onto the mission field, did you? No. You both are sensing this calling to missions in some ways. Yeah. So. So, so I was at a smaller church that had brought me out to California and our youth group um, it's a church that's no longer in existence. So um, let's just say it was on the verge of dying. Mm. And our youth group kind of dwindled down. And I'm this this youth pastor. And I said, okay, God, I've got to find students somewhere. So I start volunteering at a local high school, end up moving into the on-site substitute role there where mm-hmm. I was there every day. And then through that, got my teaching credential. I had to take four years worth of English education testing in one day to pass, to get hired by that same school to teach. And I just, I mean, when I, the first day I set foot on campus, I looked at it and I said, you know, I had this small youth group of eight kids, Hmm. um, very, very rough in terms of many of them were there if I picked them up, but not a lot of buy-in from parents. They were okay as long as they weren't, the kids weren't getting in trouble. But then I move into this high school where there's 2,600 kids, and I'm like, man, this is amazing. There's this great opportunity to, to youth pastor these 2,600 kids. And, and on the teaching side, I wasn't the greatest, but man, I connected with those yeah. students and would minister to them. I mean, lunches, they were in and we would talk. Yeah. And we ended up like doing youth ministry through that, but then also at another church that we moved to after that one closed. Bro, I love that you're telling me, because we were talking off air just a second ago about all the different connections it feels like that you and I have in the sense of similarities and... It's a bromance. I guess so, immediately. (laughs) So here's the... I, when we first moved to Indianapolis, I substitute taught too, and then became the on-site sub at a particular school. Yes. And and this is and this is where I want the listeners to understand this. I feel like there's so so often people think that the only way you can do ministry mm-hmm. is by being a full-time person in ministry, vocational ministry. And the reality is, is some of the best ministry happens mm-hmm. in either a bivocational context or you just working the job and the gifting and the career that God has given you. Mm-hmm. I imagine when Jesus sent out the 70 or the 72, based on whatever passage you're, you're reading, that it, it, he's sending them out two by two, but he sent out, you know, people who were, in, in, they were doctors or they were lawyers, they were teachers. He's like, okay, how are we going to reach the doctors? Well, here's two doctors mm-hmm. who believe in this mission. We're going to send the doctors that way. We're going to, and, and I just, I just want to stop for a second and encourage people that what you what you just said is such a key principle that you were like I consider myself not a not a teacher but a youth pastor mm-hmm. to these kids and while you may have some like quote unquote red tape that you kind of have to work through I'll never I'll never forget a mom telling me one time that she found out that I was a pastor in town that was substitute teaching. And so she would tell her daughter that if she ever had me in a class to ask questions (laughs) about faith so that I could answer those questions because I couldn't volunteer that. And and I think if you have that kind of mindset that you're having, you know, then man, God's going to give you opportunities to minister to people in context that pastors or full-time ministry people can't. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I think what we do and in God's economy of, of the kingdom of God, there is no secular mm. or ministry position. It's all one. We make the distinction between the two. But I think our role, if we're in that setting of the quote unquote non-ministry professional position, our our role is one, I prayed for favor. Yeah. And so when I came to that school, it was amazing. So one of the, the assistant principals is a, was a former youth pastor. So obviously we had an in there. And in fact, he was a former youth pastor of one of my classmates from Wheaton College. Wow. Then another principal had spent a year doing missions down in Ecuador, mm. teaching English, which is where obviously I, I went to boarding school. And then a third one was from the country where my parents were stationed. And so that principal and I would talk all the time in Spanish about that country. And so right away, God gave me connections. And even the principal was the one that asked me one day as we were walking, I was walking to the office to get something. She passed me and she said, you know, Jeff, have you ever thought about teaching? 
Huh. And, and so she's the one that actually encouraged me to move into teaching. But God prepared it. God knows exactly what he asked for us. Yeah. And, and if we're willing to step into it, he will give us what we're ready to yeah. receive. But if we're not ready to receive it or we're not ready to look at it in that sense, it's not going to be there until we are. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that was really neat about that was that I was teaching um, in the middle school at that time. ESL. Mm. And then Jeff was teaching ESL mm. in the high school. And so we, I would have the younger brothers and sisters and then oh, they would go wow. to Jeff. And so they would know our family. <laughs> like they a, would know about a us. ministry pipeline. That's right. It was. And wow. so it was really neat because he would know these kids that I had invested in. Yeah. And then they just kind of um, had both of us for, so for most cool. of them. And so it was a really neat situation. Well, and what great training ground too, to go on the mission field. You know, here you guys mm -hmm. are, you're going, well, we're like wanting to be in missions, but we're not really. And so what? it could be very easily to slip into that mindset of going like, come on, God, mm -hmm. like, why are we here? What's, what, what's this season of waiting or being delayed? And anytime you're in a season of waiting or delay from what you feel like God has promised you, it's always a preparation season. Yeah. It's always a preparation season. He's putting the tools in your tool belt to help you be equipped for the next assignment that he has for you. And so most of the time when you go overseas in, mission, in, in missions, you're not going overseas as a pastor. Mm -hmm. You're going over with some kind of trade to build equity exactly. with a group of people. And here you guys are is learning, you're cutting your teeth on how to be teachers, essentially. You yeah, know? And, and I think a lot of times, unfortunately, as believers, we, we look at this mindset of, of becoming a missionary or moving into a, a quote-unquote, again, professional ministry position, mm. and we think, okay, when I'm there, that's when I'm going to start ministering to, yeah. to people. But if we don't, you know, we, we always said we don't want to move overseas and then flip the switch on yeah. and, and do ministry. Right. We wanted ministry to be a part of our lives. We wow. had a, one of the later on when we had moved to Texas, one of the, the girls that was watching our kids while we were at while we were teaching there in Texas, she said this about her parents that we knew from Ecuador. She said, wherever they go, ministry happens. Yeah. And then wow. we love early that. on, wow. yeah, we that's love so that good. phrase. We we said that's what we want to that's be about. So good. We want our kids to know that, you know what? My mom and dad may not have provided materialistically all the things we needed, but we know that wherever they went, people's lives were impacted. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. So you guys are in this alternative form of ministry. <laughs> and um, Which was in San Diego. So if yeah. you're going to be in an alternative <laughs> well. form of ministry, San Diego is a great well place do to do there. it, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so what, what happens next? So we, we sort of felt like God was kind of closing up um, that season of our lives. And mm -hmm. we had a great church. We loved working with the pastor and his wife. And um, we just weren't sure. We weren't sure what the Lord was doing, where he was mm -hmm. moving us. And um, at the same time, the Lord had put on Jeff's heart to begin a youth group with those kids at the high mm -hmm. school. Yeah. And so our church cool. was about half an hour away from the school and we had moved into that area because we had said, you know, we will commute to work, but we don't want to commute to church because mm. it's hard to get involved in that church. And yeah. so I kept praying over and over for probably two or three years. I was like, God, give me a youth group that I can entrust these kids that I'm walking with too, because I wow. didn't want them to be a, a, a statistic. I didn't want them to right. be another number. I didn't want them to go to, you know, pizza and party right. type atmosphere. I wanted them to get grounded or, mm. or have a foundation mm. built. And one morning, this was after our first son was born, Mackenzie had woken up, fed him. I changed his diaper, put him down, and then I couldn't go back to sleep. And so I, I got up to pray. Now, let me, let me give you a caveat. This isn't always what I would do. I just happened to do that this morning. It's not like super spiritual Jeff would wake up, right? You know, every time. Right. And so as, as we were doing that, and I was just praying again, that same prayer, God, give me a, a youth group. Get, let me get them plugged in somewhere. Mm. I felt God clearly say, why not you? Mm. And I was like, uh, I don't know about that. And so, you know, I'm praying Man. through it and, and I just felt really strongly. And so on our way to school that morning, I shared with Mackenzie what I felt God would say. And I remember her, I can even, I could take you to where we were on the drive there when we were sharing it. And I remember her just crying because mm. she, she knew that that's what God was saying. And so we started a youth group 
um, from our kids, not a church plant, a yeah. youth plant, which is, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I had no idea what I was doing, but I do remember It doesn't this. really fund itself, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. There's not a lot of, uh, yeah. Uh, not, a lot of, not a lot of tithes and offerings coming into that one. <laughs> no, definitely not. But the cool thing about being in San Diego, when we started the youth group, we had 30 kids show up. And between the kids that we had been working with, we had three languages. It was in English, Spanish, and Arabic because we had a high population of Arabic students come in um, after Michigan basically said, we can't take any more refugees. This is right around when the Iraq war was going on. And so as we're, we're ministering to the students, God brings in the people that we need to help lead it. So I led the English side. I started off, we did some praise and worship in English. And then I shared a little bit of a, a, a opener type lesson thing. Yeah. And then we split up into three discussion groups. I led the English. One of my former students led the Spanish side. And then one of my current students, whose dad was actually a theology professor in Jordan, um, who had, okay. had come to the United wow. States, he led the Arabic small group. Gotcha. And it was amazing that God just in that first meeting just showed what he wanted. And it was so cool. Now, it, it didn't stay that way. It morphed into something different, but I I will never forget. And we met in a park, that yeah. first meeting in the park where God just said, look, this is what I can do wow. through you if you're available to me. Right. We say a lot that God's not looking for ability. Mm-hmm. He's looking for availability. Mm-hmm. And I think that that more often than not, we have some of those experiences like what you just shared about, um, okay, God, you know, I really... I feel like that this thing should start or mm-hmm. this somebody should do something about such and such. <laughs> and and watch out. Yeah. That's the thing is, is I full heartedly believe that God has put that burden on you for a reason. Mm-hmm. If you ever have this this thought where it's like, and it's a burden you can't escape, that's like somebody should do something about such and such. It's God going, Yeah, you should do something about that. <laughs> yeah. That's why I've given you the burden. Because not everybody has that same burden, mm-hmm. but I've given you the burden and uniquely equipped you to do that. That's so amazing. Yeah, and I would even add, he's not just looking for availability. He's looking for availability with intentionality. Ooh, because God's, good. if you look at, you know, Jesus's last words, the Great Commission, he told us to go. Yeah. And so I, I haven't seen anything that's come out where God said, okay, let's stop. You know, stop. But so often what we do is we say we're going to wait on God Mm. to move when he's already said, no, I told you to go. And a lot of times we don't hear from God because he's already given us that command to go. And he's already put in our hearts that desire to do something. But what we do is, okay, we're going to wait. And and this is different from from asking God confirmation and moving while you're waiting for that confirmation. But sometimes our thing is, you know, God, if God calls us to move, we're going to start knocking on doors, yes. pushing. And if it's yeah. locked, then that wasn't the door. But maybe that leads us, that act of moving, taking steps forward leads us into the right door it. where it is open, where God is moving. Yeah. More more often, God is waiting on us, mm-hmm. you know, because he's already, he's already made it clear our next step. Um, and, and, and we're like, I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God. Yeah. And he's like, I've been waiting on you for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get let's get moving, and I love that. I mean, that approach. Um, w- delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. Is what Scripture says. That when you're walking in sync and in tune with the Holy Spirit, you're spending time in His Word, and you're you're saturating your so- your soul in that. Then His heart for you and for this world comes in line and in sync with your heart. So, first step: delight yourself in the Lord, and then He starts to download all of these things in your heart. And you can, you can essentially, um, I'd hesitate to say trust your heart, right? Because the scripture says, who can know it? It's wicked and deceitful among all things. But if it's not your heart anymore, it's the Lord's heart because it's so in sync, mm-hmm. right, with the Lord and his, what, what breaks his heart is also breaking your heart. Then you can trust that and you can step into that and he'll close doors and he'll open doors wide open. I think that's just an incredible testimony to you guys about how you're just Hey God, we're just gonna go. We're just gonna go and not not sit here, be sedentary or mm-hmm. stationary in one spot. We're gonna go and join your mission. That's so cool. So you created this youth group. Yep. And yeah. So, but but over time, we I think we met for about a year, year and a half, maybe. Yeah. And and we could just see 
that God was starting to close doors. Mm. And so February of 2011, you know, God had allowed us to buy a house in San Diego, which looking back on it, I still don't know how we were able to afford both on public school teacher salaries, <laughs> buying a house in San Diego, yeah. but, but he did. <laughs> but I, I looked at Mackenzie and at this point, our oldest son was a year and a half, 18, 19 months old. And our youngest son had been born. No, he would have been almost, he would have been 20 months old or so. And our youngest son would have been a couple months old. And I looked at her and I said, I feel like God's telling us to get our house ready, put it on the market to sell. Mm. And that didn't sit well. <laughs> I did not like that idea. We had prepared that house and yeah. we had done so many remodeling, you know, just for our boys that were coming. Yeah. It was, you know, bringing our first children home from the hospital. Mm. It was a house mm. of memories. And so the idea of leaving that house was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. But every Sunday, I can't even remember what song it was that they played, um, but every Sunday our church kept playing the same song. And every Sunday I was like, that one's for me. Oh, I man. know it. And so probably after about a month, I was like, okay, I know we're supposed to sell it. And so we put it up on the market and it sold right away. And we're like, okay, oh, God, this okay. is you. Now yeah. you have to show up yeah. and show us what's next. Cause yeah. we weren't sure. Yeah, and, and at that time we had been looking at going overseas with the mission organization or the mission organization that uh, had sent my parents overseas to a specific location. We were looking at Dominican Republic, but we weren't quite sure about that. But we also knew about this this uh, church in Texas that we had a lot of connections of people that had been in Ecuador when I was down there that were currently there. My brother and sister-in-law were living there and attending that church. And so we knew that they had a heart for missions. And we knew that it was it was a larger church and they mm. had the capacity to send us. And so we're looking at the two and finally we just said, you know what, let's let's interview for teaching positions in that area in Texas. And we did. And God made it clear that in June of 2011, we were to move. And so we moved. Um, part of the crazy God part of selling our house is two weeks after we went under contract to sell our house, the real estate market dropped mm. again. And so if we had delayed and waited wow. on on that, we would have lost you know, a, a oh, hefty yeah. amount of money as oh, far yeah. as the sale of our home. And, and God just, again, in his sovereignty knew that we were supposed to go. And the amazing thing about Mackenzie is that when God kind of prompts me and says, okay, it's time to move like the youth group or like the house, you know, it, it may take her a little bit to wrap her mind around <laughs> it, but she's willing and, yeah. and she is fearless in, in that she's ready to, to follow as in the times when it's clearly God. Now right. there are other times right. when she's like, um, let's put the brakes uh, on that. I don't think that that's yeah. God. That might be you. Sounds a lot like that. my wife too. She's like, no, that's Davey speaking. That's not, that's not God. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So you guys end up moving to the area you're in right now, right? Mm -hmm. The Houston area, you get involved with this church and, um, there is, uh, I, I'm assuming while you're there, there's um, some life transition that happens and some tragedy that yeah. takes place. So Walk when me through we, that a little bit. Yeah. So when we um, moved to Texas, we were both working at a Christian school and Jeff was working full time, um, teaching a variety of subjects. And I was working part time so that I could spend more time at home with our boys. And yeah. I love that aspect. Mm. Um, and so... We were really enjoying working at the school. We were in process with the church to go overseas. We were mm -hmm. kind of, you know, completing each step of the right. process. And we weren't sure where the Lord was going to take us overseas, but we were just kind of waiting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so December of 2013, I had the opportunity. So the this missions organization had also licensed me as a pastor, and I had been licensed for about eight years with them. And the district superintendent in the Texas area had said, hey, Jeff, there's this Vietnamese church that needs an English pastor, which hmm. was interesting to me, but he, I knew him from Ecuador and he, he knew that I had cr cross-cultural experience. And so we took this, this job. And then when it came to offering us the full-time position, right around then I got a call from one of the missionaries that um, our sending church had in Ecuador said, Hey, 
are you interested in coming down to Ecuador full time? And, and it was interesting because Ecuador for us, you know, Jeff had grown up there and I had student taught there, right. but we'd never been together. Oh, wow. And so at first we're kind of like, well, that's too familiar. Like we can find yeah. it. We know where Ecuador is. <laughs> we thought it would be, you know, someplace that yeah. we didn't know. Right. Yeah. My, and, my parents, when they found out where they were going, had to look it up on the map <laughs> because oh they had gosh. no idea where it was. And so we're thinking, you know, it's going to be that, maybe yeah. learn a new language. Ecuador just seemed too easy. Like for me, literally, I'm like, I'm going back home. Right. I know this country. Right. I know the people. I know the language. Mm. And all of, I was already starting to think, man, I can go back to this restaurant, this restaurant, yeah. all these yeah. places that I loved. The thing that was really, you know, neat too was that we had been leading mission trips from that Christian school down to Ecuador for the past three years. Wow. And so every time Jeff would go down, I'd say, you know, he'd come home, I'd be like, anything? <laughs> You're like, is this, are we going somewhere? You know, like anything? And he'd be like, no, not yet. And, um, but during that time, we'd also built a house <laughs> in our weight. And so Might we, as well. Why not? I know, right? Yeah. So we moved to, um, to our new house and, in the process of that, you know, we were one of the first houses on our cul-de-sac. Mm -hmm. And so we said, you know, we're not waiting to be missionaries. Like we need to be intentional about yeah. missions here where we are. Yeah. And the Lord has given us this new neighborhood, this mm -hmm. new area. And so um, we began praying for each of our neighbors as they moved in and Very really cool. being intentional about building relationships with them. Um, and showing them a life wow. that reflects the Lord. And so that fall, around that same time, we began a small group um, of neighbors yeah. in, our, in our home. And so we began having them over and... Um, it was amazing. Yeah. God just started opening up all these doors. And the cool thing about... You know, they, they say when you move somewhere, you can't pick your neighbors. And yeah. it's true. But if you move into a development that's just beginning, you can set the culture oh, of wow, that, yeah. that area. And so over the summer, we had been praying just, okay, God, give us our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Let us see what this looks like. And so our first thing, the really the beginning of our small group was we decided one hot. And if you've been to Houston, it's <laughs> like miserable, miserably hot and humid. <laughs> One, uh, yeah, I was, I think it was in June or July. We decided that one evening we're gonna just hand out free root beer floats. Nice. And so we set up a little table in our cul-de-sac and we just started <laughs> pouring root beer. The greatest thing was we had the root beer, but then, or no, we had the cups. Yeah. That was, and our neighbor, another neighbor who wasn't a believer, she had root beer. And then another neighbor had ice cream. And so together, and, wow. neither and they of them all were wanted to just be a part of community. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And I think, you know, we so often forget, especially if we're in a church, you know, Christians know what community feels like. Yeah. But when we extend that out outside of the church, right. it it rocks their world because they're like, what is this? I've right. never had people care about me, yeah. you know, without wanting something in right. return. Right. And That's so um, our root beer floats, you know, it was that was the something, catalyst. Yeah, that That's started awesome. and from that. We had a youth, or we had a small group, not a youth group. That was in San Diego. <laughs> we had a small group, and in that small group, that that semester, really, that fall, we ended up performing a wedding because God allowed us to lead two of our neighbors to faith, and they were living together. Wow. And during one of the discipleship lessons, God, it was on obedience and, and baptism, and so. You know, I had, you know, we had been discipling for about a month now. And in my mind, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm trying to play the Holy Spirit. Like, you guys yeah. need to get married. Yeah. And, and the Holy Spirit literally was saying, shut up. Don't <laughs> say anything until I tell you. And I remember the most beautiful part was in that lesson, it was, there was a question in the discipleship book we were doing saying, do you want to get baptized? And I felt like God was saying, okay, now's the time mm. to ask that question. But he gave it to me in a different way. And I said, you know, you guys clearly, as we're doing this lesson, want to be baptized. Mm -hmm. Let's pray and ask God if there is another step of obedience he wants you to take. Wow. And so we prayed that. And literally two seconds after we started praying, they both lift up their head at the same time and say, we need to get married. Wow. This was a Thursday night. And so I asked the question, what's stopping you? And so wow. they both took off work Friday, got their <laughs> marriage license. And Sunday, we were doing a backyard wedding yes. in our neighbor's house. 
And oh it was just gosh. amazing. What one neighbor um, did her hair, another wow. one, you know, made, you know, smoked the meat because you're in Texas. Yeah, of course. You know, another one made a cake. Good. Another one brought, you know, wow. like the arbor. Um, somebody else, you know, took pictures and everything. That and it was the most beautiful wedding. Yeah. But they shared in that ceremony you know, Jeff asked the question, you know, why so soon? Because everybody, yeah, you know, obviously right. is wondering. And they said, for so long, we have disobeyed God. Wow. And so when he asks us to obey him, we want to change and begin obeying right away. Wow. And, and that was challenging cow. for us. Too. <laughs> yeah, no joke. You're like, for sure. Dang, do I have anything, Lord, that I'm going to... Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because so often, I mean, think about it, the fairy, you know, the dream of the fairy tale wedding, they said, no, we yeah. need to mm-hmm. obey now. Yeah. And the the most amazing part about it was we left that weekend because we had something in in um, down in Galveston that we had to go to. Mm. And so we weren't around to pick up the slack that we would have in planning this or planning that. So the other neighbors had to do it. And what it did was it allowed that community of people yeah. to to come together and I, I performed the ceremony and spoke out of Ephesians you know I did it in Spanish and English because his family <laughs> was Spanish speaking but one of the other one of their neighbors had shared you know not a believer not walking with God said that's the most beautiful wedding I've mm. ever been to and I I basically presented the gospel wow. in it and it, it was clear that it wasn't me speaking that was beautiful it was this aspect of people following God in obedience contrary to what social norms Norms would yep. tell you as far as no plan your wedding you're already living together right, right what's what's the difference and them seeing that that obedience i think obedience is beautiful hmm. when it's done in god's timing you know yep. and so they yep. were able to see that and see the difference and see that aspect of community that that frankly this neighbor probably had never experienced yeah. before well it's super inspiring and i and i love the fact that you took a backseat to the holy spirit as we should mm-hmm. you know um I, it, I might misquote this, but I think we put something on Instagram um, at some point recently where it was the, the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to be the judge, and my job to love. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Yeah. That's it. It's just our job to love. And you guys were here showing and demonstrating Christ's love um, and compassion to this community of people and just got to watch the Holy Spirit do his thing, you know? It's, what a beautiful partnership between you and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It, and it's not natural. I mean, our, no, especially absolutely. with all, all the education that we have yeah. as far as theology and all these things, we want to do the right thing. Right. But sometimes God's not calling us to defend his honor or, mm. or whatever. He just is calling us to love. And I yep. believe if the church had continued that, I think there was a time when the church was doing yeah. that. But I think if the church had continued that throughout history, we'd be at a very different point yes. in history than we are now. Yes. But instead, we've chosen to condemn, even yep. though right after John three sixteen, John three seventeen, <laughs> Jesus says, "For He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, That's right. but to save it." Like that, there's that clear aspect that. Jesus isn't, didn't even come to condemn. And, yep. and over, all throughout John, Jesus is saying, I just do what the Father tells me to do. I say what the Father tells me to say. And, and when he speaks, it's out of that love yeah. and out of that seeing people as he created them to be mm. rather than where they were and what station in life right. they found themselves in when he met them. Right. Well, one of the things I love too about what you guys did is you guys were pouring into and investing into a community of people and you were there for them. And um, I'm, I'm wondering, because I know a bit of your story, I'm wondering how that came back to you during the time that you guys walked through this tragedy. Yeah. Um, if there was, you know, that wealth of community that came and ministered to you during mm-hmm. that as well. Yeah. So that was fall of 2013 when that happened. And we were pregnant at the time. And we found out this this call from this missionary to go overseas and join them in Ecuador. And we were excited because finally it was like, yes, yeah. we're after 11 years, we're getting to go overseas. And so we began in February preparing to go overseas. But then also February 5th, our daughter Zoe was born. Mm. And it was just, it was amazing. It was a snowy day in Houston, which it doesn't happen <laughs> often. Wow. And I mean, she was this huge baby, nine pounds. Um, and, and just over and over, it just felt like God had something planned for her mm. life. Her name was Zoe. And we had wanted the name Zoe since before our, 
our oldest son was born in yeah. 2009. So years and years, it was like, okay, we're pregnant with the firstborn and it's a boy. Mm-hmm. Can't use the name Zoe, so we'd have to find another <laughs> we name. We could never agree uh, on boy names, but we always had the name Zoe. Always. Oh, I know. And, and the most amazing thing is, you know, it's Greek for life and, and yeah. this connotation of eternal life. In fact, when in John, I think it's John 6, 10, when Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have mm-hmm. it abundantly, he uses the word Zoe. Mm-hmm. Like the, or that in the Greek New Testament, that's the translation. And so we knew that there was something about her. And so we're in the process of, of preparing to go overseas. We had already submitted our letter or declined our, our letters of intent to um, renew at the school that year. Yeah. And we knew that we were going to come on staff with the church. And, you know, we were doing our, our activation class for missions and we're doing all these things. And, and it's just, it was just a sweet time in our lives. God was just preparing us. I even remember April, end of April, I'm, I'm journaling and I'm the kind of guy that I have like 10 different journals that I've started. I'm like five pages <laughs> yeah. into each. And then I, I, I quit for a little bit and then I can't start that same journal. I have to go to a new one. God's working on me on that one. But I remember reading, you know, sometime after we got back from Ecuador, one of those journals as we were unpacking boxes and and looking at things. And I remember reading the first line of my journal entry, April 28th of 2014 said, God, my family is yours. Mm. You can have them. You can do what you want. We're fully surrendered to you. Wow. And shortly after then, um, May 7th of, of the next month, Mackenzie at school gets a call from the babysitter. So our, yeah, I, when I would teach, um, I had just dropped our boys off at the babysitter's house. Just, you know, a sweet mm-hmm. lady in our neighborhood yeah. who watched some of the other kids in our small group, their children. Right. And it was probably two streets over. And um, I I think I she they'd only been there for about an hour and a half. Mm. Um and so I had dropped them off that morning. Um, at the time, I was mommy blogging, and so I'd gotten yeah. this like cushion and pillow, baby cushion in the mail. So I had to take all these pictures. Mm. So that morning, I think I took like thirty-five pictures <laughs> of my third child. Which yeah. you know, if you right. have more than one child, you know that that's right. kind of rare. That's very rare. Yeah. <laughs> so I had all these pictures of her. Um, so we're hurrying out the door. I dropped the the three kids off at the babysitters, and then I go to school, and. Um, Jeff had finished his class early, so he ran to the post office to mail something for Mother's Day um, to my mom. And um, when I was in my office, I received a phone call from the babysitter, and um, she was you know, crying and kind of screaming into the phone, um, it's the baby, it's the baby, she's not breathing. Mm. And immediately, you know, my heart yeah. sunk, and I didn't know what to think, I... I I remembered, you know, like, oh, she's only three months. She can't be choking. Mm. You know, what What else could be going on? And and I just screamed, you know, call 911, call 911. You know, somebody, I'm going to, we're on our way. Yeah. And so I, I fumbled with my phone and I called Jeff at the post office. And I said, Jeff, it, it's Zoe. It's, it's, she's not breathing, you know, get there quick. Yeah. And, and I was literally about to drop that package for my mother-in-law, which ended up being a picture of her and her three grandkids. Mackenzie's an only child, so mm-hmm. these were her only grandkids. And I was dropping it in the about to drop it into the automated box. And I just grabbed the package and ran out. I'm I'm sure I looked really weird as mm-hmm. mid, you know, transaction running out. I couldn't even remember if I grabbed my card or not, you know, from the machine. And and I remember and I'm I'm running across the parking lot to the car. I had switched vehicles with my mom who also lives in our neighborhood. So I probably had driven by right around when all of this was going on, probably had driven by the babysitters around then. But I remember thinking and just telling God, God, please let me hold her one more time. Mm. And I immediately got this sense of eternity. Mm. And when I look back, I know what that meant. Mm-hmm that I would have that. But at, at the time, I didn't want to accept that. No, mm. no dad wants to say, oh yeah, that's, my daughter's dead. Mm. 
And so I, I drive to the babysitter's house and I've apologized to my mom many times that I probably drove over the speed limit, drove crazy, windows down, radio off, listening for an ambulance because the ambulance was right by the post office. So I knew that if I could hear an ambulance, the ambulance was a sign of hope mm. for me in that moment. And it never came. And, and so I'm driving and I'm rounding the corner of the last street to get to the babysitter's house. And I see the ambulance there, lights off. I see a sheriff's car out front and I see people out there waiting and I park. And in hindsight, I never should have been driving, but what else could I do? Yeah. Um, I run up and I, I'm ready to like burst through the house. And, and I don't even know what I was going to try to do, but sheriff stops me and asks me who I am. And I said, I'm the father. And he said, they tried everything they could do, but she didn't make it. And I remember collapsing on the grass. Like, what do you do? Mm. What do you do in that moment when, you know, these, these plans that you have for your daughter suddenly are gone? Um, what do you do when you're preparing to go overseas and now you're going as a family of four instead of a family of five physically. Um, and then I remember my mom saying she had been on the porch with my boys who were there at the babysitters as well. They were three and four years old at the time. And she said, Jeffrey, they don't know why you're crying. Hmm. I don't know where it came from, but I, I got up. I went and I hugged them and I kissed them. I said, mom, can you take them to your house? I don't know what, what we're doing. And so from then, you know, I had to wait. I had to wait for Mackenzie to come from school. And, and so I remember just moving over to the driveway and waiting and Mackenzie texted me and she said, do I go to the hospital or go to the babysitters? And the hardest text message I've ever sent was come here. So, as I got received that call, I immediately ran to the office and I asked the secretary, I said, I need you to drive me. You know, Zoe's not breathing. And, you know, she crapped, she jumped in the car and drove our car um, and me to the babysitter's house. And um, I just remember I'd texted, you know, one of our small groups and I just uh, received a text and it said, you know, God breathe into Zoe. Mm. And, you know, I clung to that. Yeah. And so in that moment, that was all I could say. And all I could pray is I just repeated that God breathe into Zoe, God breathe into Zoe. Yeah. And I, I prayed that, you know, the entire way to the babysitter's house. And so when I got there, you know, I, this, my stomach is in knots as I pull up and I, you know, I didn't want to get there, mm. but yet I did. Yeah. Um, and so when we, we pulled up, I, I ran over to Jeff in the driveway and, um, you know, he said, they've done everything they can and, and she didn't make it. And I mean, that's hard to wrap yeah. her mind around. Yeah. And so in that moment, I just said, make them try harder, mm -hmm. you know, tell them to try again. Yeah. I don't understand. And, um, and, and I was, I mean, the most helpless feeling as, yeah. as a husband is when you know, there's nothing you can do to help your yeah. wife in the pain that she's in. And I, I just held her that, I mean, that's all I could do. And I mean, we just stood there, you know, in, in the driveway mm. and, you know, the poor babysitter is still inside with police and um, they're asking questions and, and I wasn't allowed to go in. The officer told me you can't go in. It's a crime scene. Oh, wow. And that's, Ugh. I mean, I, I understand that, but at the same time, like I just wanted to hold her yeah. and, and they said, well, yeah. no, you don't want to go in there. You don't want to see her like that. But it's like, no, I, I, I still yeah. want to hold her, but I couldn't, I mean, literally legally could not because they had already secured the scene and I was not allowed in. So as we're standing there, you know, kind of going back to our neighbors, like I remember everyone you know, when, when a current, when something happens, you right. know, you come out and you stand on your sidewalks. And right. I mean, there was like a line, like a parade of people on the other side of the street, just staring at us. Mm. And I, you know, I remember telling Jeff, like, they're watching us. Mm. I said, you know, Jeff, they're watching us. 
to see if the God that we've been wow. preaching about is real. Because we've been telling them all about him. Yeah. And they're watching to see if our God can get us through this. Yeah. And in a way, I I hate to say that we needed this, but but we did because yeah. you know, with with our families, you know, both of us come from families where our parents are still married. We come from, you know, we've had very little death or, or tragedy in our families. And, yeah. you know, in a way, they didn't say this, but I could get this sense that, well, of course you follow God. Look at your life. You know, you, you have the American dream. You have 2.3 kids. You right. have, you know, a house in the suburbs and it's beautiful and you've got two cars and, and you know, you're making a, a transition up in your job. You're moving forward yeah. with your dreams and goals. And, and it was almost like God said, you know what? I need to give this to you because mm. I need to use this. Yeah, wow. And, and, and not that we weren't effective in ministry before, not that God can't use us void of tragedy or pain, but it was almost like God said, I have something bigger, Yeah. but I have to hurt you first before mm. I can give that ministry to you. And so, you know, Mackenzie's telling me this, and I don't know where she had that strength um, wow. To say that, I well, I know it's from God yep. exactly. Right but in that moment, but in that moment, like so many different things. What are your thought process? There, there's no manual. Like yeah. it's not in the not parenting books you read. Hey, and if your child dies, yeah. this is what you do. Step one, step two. Right. We, we had to figure out. Okay, now what? Wow. And I remember we had to stay there because they wanted to interview us. They were asking questions of the babysitter, but Mackenzie. I remember her saying, where, where is she? Where's the babysitter? And, and we went over to her and we just hugged her mm. and cried. And we said, it's not your fault. Mm. You didn't do anything. God gave us in those moments, this amazing strength yeah. that right away we had to begin comforting other people yeah. and, and begin showing this strength that was definitely not in us, yeah. but a strength that God gave us to walk others through this. Wow. Um. Mackenzie, one of the things that you know, we've said often during during our tragedy is that that same thing that you know when the there's a fight that breaks out in your life. I don't want to trivialize it with a with a metaphor, but it's it's kind of like when you're in school and a fight breaks out in the hallway, all heads snap mm. to see the fight, and they're looking on. And um, it's exactly what was going on uh, in your neighborhood right there is when that, that fight in the spiritual takes place, when tragedy hits your life, um, trial hits your life. It is a, uh, scripture says, it tests the genuineness of our faith. I think it does that for us internally, right? So that we see how genuine our own faith mm -hmm. is. Is this really, like, am I a real Christian? Right. Aside from the like praying the prayer to get out of hell, like, do I really trust the Lord and believe him for everything? But it also is a genuineness to the to the outside world. It shows the outside world this is what it looks like to see Jesus. Um Piper said something one time, John Piper, uh that that the only way for for people today to see uh, the person of Jesus because we're living in 2019 at the time of this recording. And so it's nobody in 2019 has actually seen the person of Jesus. The only way for people to see the clearest picture of Jesus is when Christians suffer well mm -hmm. and they walk with that Holy Spirit empowered grace and strength and, and they comfort others and, and that is the clearest picture of Jesus that we see in 2019. And it's, a, it's remarkable. And I think, you know, in that, the, the irony is, you know, that small group in our neighborhood, they became the ones who comforted us. Wow. Mm -hmm. Along with our church family and, yep. you know, our, our work family. But, um, you know, that, that neighborhood, mm. they were in the trenches. Yep. And, and, some of them were believers yeah. and some of them were not. Mm. And, um, you know, I remember the next day we, 
I was in our boys' room and we just didn't have the courage to go outside and to face everyone. Yeah. To tell people what had happened. Um, we just, you know, it, it, you're still processing it. And, yeah. and I walked um, into our boys' room upstairs and I looked out of their bedroom window and um, our neighbors in, had all come together in our cul-de-sac and they had chalk mm. and they were all writing like love notes to us. Wow. Telling us the they kids, were missing her. And... The kids, the adults, um, and they had written messages like, we miss her too and wow. we love her and we love you, Rollins family. And I looked at that and everything in me wanted to stay hidden. You know, yeah. when, when tragedy hit, hit strikes, you want to exactly. hide. Yep. And everything in me wanted to hide, except I, I knew that I needed them too. Yeah. And so we saw that and I was like, okay, here we go. Yeah. And so, you know, we all went out to the, to them yeah. in the cul-de-sac and they, they just hugged on us and loved on us. And, um, it was just exactly what we needed. Wow. And I think so often we think that, you know, we as the church do so such a great job of loving each other. Mm. But I think we um, do a disservice to those outside of the church when we don't let them love us. Yeah. Because they want to be a part of that too. Mm. And they, wow. I think if we they were really a part of our lives, then we have to let them in to the pain and the tragedy yeah. that we were experiencing because to do so would be like you were saying it would be denying them a picture of Christ I think the hard part was we didn't have a lot of emotional energy to want to spend time with anybody yeah you know but but it's very humbling because I grew up doing ministry I mean my freshman year of high school I was part of a group called preacher boys how nerdy <laughs> is that and we were literally meet. <laughs> Um, Wednesday mornings to work on preparing sermons. Like that's how nerdy wow. I was. That's how much ministry minded my life has been. Now right. I'm not perfect, but at the same time, I've always had that. And so to yep. be in a moment where physically and emotionally we had no, we had nothing to give. We had no ministry to be able to do and yeah. to have to receive when you've been ministering for years it's humbling. Yeah, it's it hard, but at the same time, there's something beautiful about it because God never created us to be these powerhouses that always give, 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 and yeah. never receive. Yeah. And, and, and inviting them into our pain by embracing them, by letting them minister to us was wow. one of the most beautiful pictures that I have ever seen of people loving people, wow. regardless of whether it's church or not. Mm -hmm. People loving people. Mm. Man. Well, so here, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to do this now in two parts because there's so much more that we want to talk about with this. Um, and for this particular episode, we're out of time. So if you guys are okay with us doing this two parts, and what I want to do is I want to talk in the next, in the next part of this interview, I want to talk about some of that, the depth of grief that you guys were experiencing and the real dark places, the sadness that, you know, cause there's a process that you guys were having to work through and, and your community helped, but there was some, some alone times with the mm -hmm. Lord, I'm sure that you guys were really having to, um, to process through. And then, and then it's been really cool to see the purpose that God has given you out of this. And so I want to make sure that we talk about that, but, but we're going to come back and do this in, in a second part. So make sure, um, that you tune in for the second part of this interview with Jeff and Mackenzie Rollins. Wow. I cannot imagine walking through that, mm -hmm. um, but I am so thankful for them and just the fact that they had built such sweet friendships yeah. um, for years and had such a community to surround them in their darkest hour. Yeah. I mean, the the hope and even in the way they're describing things, it just, it like leaves me excited for the second part of this interview. You know, I'm like, and, and what a beautiful thing that like we're sandwiching Easter with these two interviews. Mm, yeah. Right. I mean, this is devastating story of 
loss and tragedy. And yet what we get to hear from them about next week is how that tragedy is being turned around to triumph. And um, I mean, that's the, that's the message of Easter. That's exactly what we are walking into this weekend, celebrating that even in our darkest hour, we can hold out hope for the resurrection. We can hold out hope for um, for, for Sunday, you know? Man. Yep, you're absolutely right. Well, um, we hope that you guys have uh, a happy Easter and we want to thank Sleeping at Last for the music that they've provided and you can download their music on iTunes um, or anywhere music can be downloaded. And here's a little clip of next week's show. We'd been getting our blog ready and we were a couple days away from launching it to announce our moving to Ecuador. Some yeah. people knew, but not everybody knew. And so we were we were excited because we were we had this blog. We had already set up, you know, the background and everything. And and with Mackenzie's having been a mommy blogger, you know, we we had a lot of cool ideas for right. it. Right. But we also knew that there were people all over the country, all over the world, really praying for us. And they had no idea mm. what was going on. In fact, I remember a message from somebody who they had been missionaries with my parents down in South America. And I remember them saying, they said, we're praying, but we don't know why. Wow. Mm. And so I looked at Mackenzie and I said, we have to tell them. 